Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The women leading state labor federations, and one of them will be our guest on the show today, also the business manager of Iron Workers Local 44, talking about the woman who got a shout-out from the President of the United States. Welcome to the Tuesday, March 7th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. March being Women in History Month, so we're doing everything we can to feature women labor leaders who essentially have made history. And Stephanie Bloomingdale is certainly one of those people. Elected the first woman president of the Wisconsin State AFL-CIO, Stephanie has over 20 years' experience in labor as an organizer, negotiator, trainer, and activist. She served as secretary-treasurer of the Wisconsin AFL-CIO since uh, 2010 before becoming president. Previously served as the Director of Public Policy for the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, where she had a key role in strengthening the voices of nurses as well as health care workers throughout the state of Wisconsin. In arbitrations and grievance hearings, Stephanie is known as a very tough negotiator. In her electoral work, she has a statewide reputation for managing effective voter mobilization campaigns and also holding elected officials accountable. That is so darn important. Also, over the course of her career, she's been committed to the ideals of organized labor and the power of collective action to create a strong, a very strong middle class. She's also dedicated to building grassroots, member-driven campaigns, that advocate for social and economic justice for everyone. Interesting time when she was secretary treasurer. That's when uh, Scott Walker was elected governor of Wisconsin and made all those attacks on public sector workers and eventually turned Wisconsin into a right-to-work state. That was a game-changer for Stephanie. I mean, she got all fired up. She's going to talk about that time in uh, labor and obviously talk about where we are today a lot of organizing going on and obviously a lot of women that have taken leadership roles in state federations Uh, she is one of 16 women that are leading our state federations there's a jessica acres hughes who's president secretary treasurer of the arkansas afl cio out in california Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher, Executive Secretary-Treasurer there. Cynthia Finney, we had Cynthia on the show some months back. She's president of the Maine AFL-CIO. Donna Edwards, president of the Maryland State and District of Columbia State Labor Federation. Bernie Burnham, president of Minnesota AFL-CIO, had her on the show some months back. Susan Martin, who is with Nebraska State AFL-CIO. Susie Martinez, Nevada, Ashley Long, New Mexico, Mary B. McMillan, president of the North Carolina State Federation. In Pennsylvania, it's Angela Ferrito, 
Nellie Leone, Puerto Rican Federation of Labor. Doris Krauss Mays out of Virginia. He's been on a couple of times. April Sims. She heads the uh, Washington State Labor Council. Uh, Tammy Johnson, Wyoming. And uh, Joelle Hall. little interesting and footnote to Joelle. She comes from the Food and Commercial Workers Union. She is the first woman to hold that office since the state federation was chartered back in 1943. She previously served as director of operations and spent more than 20 years shaping politics in Alaska. So these are the women that are leading state labor federations and doing one heck of a job. There's no doubt about that. Our uh, second guest on the show today is going to be Dave Baker. And uh, Dave is the business manager, financial secretary of Iron Workers Local 44. Ironworkers44.com is their uh, website. little background on Dave. He had uh, the position of business manager since 2015. He's on the leadership team that oversees more than 1,000 ironworkers in the greater Cincinnati area. The ironworkers of uh, Local 44 have been responsible for building the infrastructure of most of the buildings that we all live, work, and play in just about every day. In his career, Dave Baker has held numerous supervisory positions and has mastered all aspects of the ironworking trade. And I want to tell you, Local 44 got a lot of notoriety recently at uh, the president's State of the Union message when he gave a shout-out, I'm talking about Joe Biden, to a Cincinnati ironworker by the name of Sarah Gwynn May, who's been a member of Local 44 for quite some time. In fact, she was invited by the White House to sit in Jill Biden's viewing box. We've been trying to get Sarah on the show. Dave is doing everything possible. He's going to talk about her career. She is an African-American and a woman who has spent over two decades working as an iron worker, and she's going to be one of the iron workers that'll be working on the Brent Spence Bridge. That's the bridge, and Dave's going to get into detail on how bad that bridge has become. It was in total neglect for years. In fact, twice as many vehicles have been driving over that bridge than it was originally constructed for, and this has been going on for years. Chunks of concrete have been falling out of that bridge, and they had to put wooden platforms up to catch the concrete. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. He's going to give us all the details on, uh, on that project and how Sarah, now a rock star, is going to be involved in it. It's a great story. It really is a great story. You know, for a big part of the month of March, we're going to be profiling a number of women that have had integral roles in organized labor. One of them is Sarah Steffens. Sarah knows firsthand why passing the Protect the Right to Organize Act is so important. As a reporter at the Contra Costa Times, Sarah successfully led her co-workers to organize and join the News Guild, which is affiliated with one of our sponsors, the Communication Workers of America. And after she does this, she gets fired. She gets fired with a group of other activists two weeks after the vote. Well, since then, Sarah Steffens has dedicated her career to helping workers build power to improve our workplaces and our communities, and she currently serves as secretary-treasurer 
for the Communication Workers of America. How about that? She gets fired, and now she has a position with one powerful union. And then there's Frances Perkins. If that name rings a bell, it should. She is probably the most famous Secretary of Labor, born before women could vote. Frances Perkins worked her way up to FDR's cabinet, becoming the longest-serving secretary ever. She got the job after decades of successful advocacy to transform working conditions in New York City, including the response to the Triangle Shirtwaist factory fire where she personally watched 163 immigrant women and girls die. Inspired as a young college student by another famed workers' rights advocate, that would be Florence Kelly, Frances Perkins described, diving into the work which became my vocation, and that happened right after graduation. In a run-up to her national gig as labor secretary, she rewrote the safety code, the fire safety code for New York, fought for minimum wage laws and unemployment insurance. She also set a 54-hour cap on the work week. Since she was 100% pro-labor and hated by manufacturing and industry, she revolutionized her entire field and changed millions of people's lives. Failing, says Francis Perkins, was never an option. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to link up with Stephanie Bloomingdale, head of the Wisconsin AFL-CIO. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the United Labor Agency. They connect people with employment, 216-666-2185. You can find them online at ulagency.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. 
For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to the state of Wisconsin right now. And joining us on our live line is Stephanie Bloomingdale. Stephanie is the first woman to head the Wisconsin AFL-CIO, the state AFL-CIO. She's had that position since uh, 2018. And as I indicated at the top of the show, what we're doing, March is Women's History Month. And Stephanie Bloomingdale, being the first woman heading a state federation there, well, that's history. Stephanie Bloomingdale, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today? Oh, absolutely great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, I have a lot of questions lined up to talk to you. I mean, you uh, you have quite a distinguished career. Let's start with um, growing up in a working class family. I think it's important for our listeners to know where you came from. And obviously, we know where you are now. And, you know, that that's a journey. That's quite a journey. It didn't happen overnight. And that's what I want to talk about on the show. And obviously, you've been... Uh, Federation president for going on five years. I'm sure there's some accomplishments we could get into and some future goals. So let's talk about growing up. Uh, can you reflect back on that for us? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, thinking about, well, I, I have to tell you one thing. I did not um, grow up thinking that I would be the, you know, the president of the Wisconsin AFL-CIO so that came after, you know, a lot of uh, hard work and uh, the journey that, 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 that took me there. But I did know when I was a young child that I was very, very interested in, in improving the lives of working people. And I saw the injustices up front and close. And I think that that informed me about the kind of work that I wanted to do uh, in my life. So uh, my mom was a, a nurse. She was an LPN, and um, uh, she worked at the local hospital. Uh, my, my dad was a, a worked on cars. My uncles all um, were in union jobs. Um, they worked uh, for, you know, as a UAW members or, or steel workers. And so there was a lot of conversation in my house about uh, you know, this was growing up in the 70s. We had a lot of inflation um, and uh, really talking about, you know, what, what it was like at work. And I remember one day in particular, uh, my mother were, worked at a, a hospital, it was non-union, and she said, well, Steffi, the, we, don't, we don't have a pension at the hospital. And I said, why not? She said, well, um, the, the bosses, all, the managers think that we don't need a pension because we have husbands. And I, that just struck me so wrong. And she, she, it struck her wrong as well. Um, but I said, Mom, why don't, you, why don't you organize a union? And she said, well, you know, it's very hard. Their, uh, nurses are taught in, in school that they shouldn't belong to a union like uh, uh, the men in manufacturing. And so that really struck me as a, uh, something that has always stayed with me. And um, as it turns out, my mother, you know, did end up going back to school, became an RN and was a public health nurse and became an officer in her own union um, and very supportive of unions, as she always was. 
But that helped me to really define um, what was what, and not only for unionizing workers, but also the difference between men's professions and women's professions and the type of pay and benefits um, that each were allowed in. Now, the, the, the union jobs were good union jobs, but those jobs that were not union uh, really uh, uh, lacked that, 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 that basic protections and security um, that was ch- certainly deserved. Well, the fact that your mom was a nurse, I'm wondering, is that what kind of drove you into uh, working with nurses? Because I see you served as director of the public policy program for the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, which is affiliated with the American Federation of Teachers. Was that was that kind of by design then? Uh, you know, I don't know by design, but uh, it certainly did help out. And my grandmother also was a a certified nursing assistant, and she did that for um, over over 40 years. She was a a CNA, and I myself was a CNA um, when I was younger. So all of these things really combined. I mean, you know, this was uh, growing up around nurses and healthcare workers, understanding the issues and the challenges that they face really um, made this job that I had and, and working with the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, AFT, um, something that I really, really enjoyed and uh, was a great challenge and was very meaningful to me to organize, uh, to, you know, I organized one of the, the biggest organizing uh, drives in, in Wisconsin uh, for nurses uh, at one of the hospitals, or for the, not for the, for the uh, service and, and technical units. And so that was very, very good, and, and then went on to uh, help to negotiate contracts and deal with the issues facing uh, nursing in, nursing and healthcare workers in Wisconsin. I read in your bio that you're known as a tough negotiator. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd, li- I'd like to get into that a little bit. Now, you know that that's that's very difficult. It's it's frustrating. You got to be you got to come to the table prepared. You you know that. I'm just wondering how uh, maybe you could walk us through the time. I mean, that had to be a learning experience for you, um, and and how long it took you to to uh, hone those skills. Can you uh, can you talk to us about that? Uh, well, certainly, and I had um, I had great mentors as well. Uh, Candace Owley was the president of the WFNHP, and she was a terrific mentor to me. And um, you know, one of the things that I brought to my work was to uh, you know to be very thoughtful and also to understand and learn about the leverage of power and the and to introduce creativity into the work that we did, whether that be around issue campaigns or whether that be at the bargaining table. And um, so, yep, there's a, there's a lot to learn. Um, and uh, people that have done negotiating know that you have to be very patient, um, organized, and you have to build the power of the workplace along with what you're doing at the table sitting across from the boss. So mm-hmm. all of those things pl- come into play and there's um, there's not just there's not a, a step-by-step <laughs> playbook and you really have to um, analyze and and be thoughtful about the changing d- dynamics 
in the negotiating process. Um, but one of the things that, like I said, you know, leveraging the power of the workers and making sure that the the, the people that you're negotiating, the contracts that you're negotiating, that people are really understanding, the workers are understanding what's at stake and then what you can do to alter the relations of power to get a b- better deal um, for the workers at the end of the day. Now, Stephanie, by the way, we're speaking with Stephanie Bloomingdale, who is the first woman to head the Wisconsin State Labor Federation. She's had that position since 2018, and then she was uh, secretary treasurer about eight years before that in 2010 when Scott Walker came into office. Now, we're, we're going to get into that in a little bit. I'm sure you'd like to keep him in the rearview mirror, but but I want to reflect <laughs> on the fact that you had to have some challenges here being a female. And, uh, I mean, think back. You, you're telling me back in the 70s growing up, and it's a, it was a different world then. And, you know, it has changed. We still got a long way to go as far as women getting respect. I'm just wondering. Uh, and, you know, they often say respect has to be earned. And uh, I'm just wondering, that had to be a pretty high ladder to climb from from starting back then into where we are today. Uh, anything comes to mind on what got you over the hump? Okay, let, let's start right there because there had been challenging days for you in the course of your rise to the presidency. Uh, well, absolutely. Um, you know, number one, a lot of hard work and a lot of willpower, <laughs> um, and. And to do something that I really believed in, um, you know, when I was in the eighth grade, then when you when they talked about you know what you're going to do um, later in life, I was predicted to be the the head of the women's rights movement <laughs> back then because I was scrappy and had a and had a had a had a kind of a, a, a big I don't want to say big mouth, but I was outspoken. Huh? Let's put it uh-huh. that way. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, really uh, a, a lot of hard work. And, and one of the things that I really appreciate so much about the, the labor movement, I mean, it's a women in general have had a hard role, whether that be in, in business or in uh, any industry to rise to leadership positions. But one of the things I always respect about organized labor is that there is a deep respect for and premium placed on performance. And so um, working very hard and really being unrelenting in my search for excellence and introducing creative and innovative programs uh, and involving our membership have all, I believe, been keys to um, our members having trust in my leadership. When you became the first woman back in 2018 to head the uh, state federation in Wisconsin, did did that garner some news did it generate some news over there the fact that uh, you made history um, it did uh, it did um but you know i had the the the, the pleasure to, to have been the secretary treasurer before i'm working very closely with phil newenfeld who was the president at that time and uh, phil did pass um and may he rest in peace he's a, a terrific mentor to me and a labor leader that is really a giant in our collective history in Wisconsin's labor movement. Mm-hmm. And so I worked very closely with him and he um, very much opened up 
and was uh, very instructive and uh, we worked very closely and, and well together. So I appreciate his leadership um, in that in that way. Mm-hmm. It sounds very similar to what happened in the national AFL-CIO with Rich Trumka. I know he was grooming Liz Schuler, and then suddenly he passes away and she took over the reins and then she was uh, elected in uh, in June of last year. Stephanie Bloomingdale joining us in our live line today. She is the president, the first woman president of the Wisconsin State AFL-CIO. We'll continue the conversation right after this. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. And if you like a show, share that show. We count all the downloads. Our sponsors like to know how many downloads we're getting, and we're getting more each and every day. And uh, if you miss a show, just go to awfpodcast.com and share that show. All right, let's go back to the state of Wisconsin right now. Rejoin Stephanie Bloomingdale, who is the first woman president of the Wisconsin State AFL-CIO. You know, I saw your photo and name. This was a couple of months ago. The AFL-CIO National Organization 
sent out a brief on all the female presidents. I believe you're one of 16 female presidents in the country. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Hopefully, uh, we'll get to uh, over 50 before you know it. I mean, I mean, it should be because there's more women. Women hold the majority in the country. So we'll see what happens here in the next couple of years. I know Liz Shuler has a big organizing goal, and I'm sure she would like to see more people like Stephanie Bloomingdale head their uh, state federation. So let's talk a little bit. I know you're a, you're a really really big on organizing, and it's great to know that you have the skills, you've had the skills throughout the years, you've been organizing. At the same time, politically, Wisconsin has changed uh, dramatically, I might say. When Scott Walker came in, he attacked workers, and uh, you were secretary treasurer at that time. Um, Boy, that had to be a brutal learning experience for you, Stephanie <laughs> Bloomingdale. I mean, wow, that got national attention. I remember watching MSNBC every night they were talking about uh, what was going on in the state capitol. It was amazing. Can you, uh, can you reflect on that time? Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it really was something because I was elected in um, probably October of 2010, And uh, just a few weeks later, Scott Walker became the governor of Wisconsin. And uh, we knew that we were in for a fight. Definitely, we knew we were in for a fight. And and again, I was the secretary treasurer. Phil Neuenfeld was the president. And uh, he and I knew, and everyone in labor knew, that we were in for a fight. What we didn't know, that it would come in the way that it did uh, with what we call Act 10. And, and so in, in February of uh, 2011, Scott Walker declared war on public workers in Wisconsin. And uh, it was the most radical piece of legislation uh, to take place anywhere in the country in terms of labor. And it, in terms of where I was, it, it really was a sink or swim kind of moment. And, uh, you know, it called that time it called for uh, a wartime leader and it was quickly understood whether we were going to I was going to make it as a wartime leader or not because of the situation. And um, it was uh, an incredible time. Uh, It was. But I believe that what we did uh, really changed the trajectory for labor. Uh, because we didn't just back down. When that fate came to us, we stood up, we fought back, and we expanded that, that, that fight to not only for people in Wisconsin, but it became a national and international fight for workers' rights. Stephanie, there had to be moments during that time where you're wondering, oh, my God, this, this is crazy. And not only that, that movement spread to other states. It went over to Michigan. And they almost did it in the state of Ohio. But there was a worker rebellion. And I don't know. If you take a look at today, that was in 20, 2011 that that happened. Today, I think uh, that uh, SB5 measure in the state of Ohio probably would have passed because the, the politics have certainly changed in the state of Ohio. Michigan, different story. They may, uh, they may repeal right to work. But getting back to your state in Wisconsin, can you get in specifics? I mean... You had to really call in all the troops at that time. Like you said, there was a war on workers. If you got a war on workers, you got to fight back. You got to think differently. 
Uh, what was the uh, what was the turning point? I mean, he was uh, governor for what two terms or what? What what happened there? Well, Scott Walker, um, you know, he thought that he could ride this wave of anti-unionism and anti-worker um, sentiment, and that he could become president of the United States. And he had mm-hmm. a very short short uh, uh, campaign for that because people uh, in general were shifting in their mindset about what what workers should should deserve at, in the in the job. So um, you know, it, Walker became the uh, sort of the, the the person that people looked at all over the country for uh, wanting to uh, turn back worker rights. So mm-hmm. our fight back was able to really turn the the. I, I believe turned the sentiment of that we we can uh, we can rise again as working people and have more fairness in our workplaces, but only if we fight and only if we engage in that. And so uh, we did that. But he then um, finally we were able to kick him to the curb, and in in 2018 when we elected Governor Tony Evers, who has been uh, a very much of an advocate for um for working people and yeah. uh it's led us to this time where we see a new a new new opportunities for uh labor and for working people in general um our president our national president liz Schuler, has such a bold vision for organizing new workers that i am so happy to be a part of 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 her plan to organize uh, more than a million members in the next 10 years. Now, you're not all the way back prior to Walker, because I know your legislature is still on the other side, and I know the courts have been changed over the years, so I, I know you still have some work to do. And I, it's my understanding, too, you there might be a special election for your state Supreme Court coming up uh, in the spring. Is that right? Yeah, so what's happened is, um, you know, we Wisconsin was the state where, um, you know, where we had the, the, the first unemployment compensation, the first workers comp, comp, worker, comp, worker compensation for injured workers, um, the first public sector organizing happened in Wisconsin, and even the first kindergarten in, was established here in Wisconsin. So we had all these firsts. So to see all of that become unraveled, uh, was was uh, a, a real wake up call for everyone here. So along as this was happening, um, the the Supreme Court in our state became uh, dominated by um, anti worker forces, and they have helped to gerrymander our maps in Wisconsin something fierce. So even though we're able to win elections for Senator Tammy Baldwin for uh, uh, Governor Tony Evers, for Attorney Josh Call, for the statewide elections, we can get over that 50%. But when it comes to the state legislature, uh, we, are, we can't get It's uh, two-thirds that are gerrymandered mm-hmm. for Republicans, one-third for Democrats. So you see how um, uh, as absolutely systematically unfair um, these maps are. So we have a chance to turn around our Supreme Court this spring in April and uh, to turn the, 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 the balance of power at the Supreme Court. And so the importance of this is of, of national import 
because it uh, that Supreme Court makes decision wide range of decisions, but also uh, around these maps. So it's a critical piece in restoring balance and fairness to our democracy in Wisconsin. Stephanie, I have to point out too, there was big money that you were fighting on this. You're, you're familiar with ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, headed by the Koch brothers. And I mean, millions, if not billions of dollars were spent to attack workers. And that's that's sad. But, you know, the good thing is labor has boots on the ground and uh, you can only push people back so far. So with that being said, I, I know you're fired up about the spring here. You've got to have some some goals in mind. Uh, with organizing things of that nature, you know we got the right people in Washington. We got a worker-friendly National Labor Relations Board. What do you see ahead, Stephanie Bloomingdale? Well, I see a lot more organizing on the horizon. I see working people, especially our young people, say, "You know what? This is not this is not working out for us. Not having, uh, you know, uh, you know, not having adequate pay." and security on the job, and they are looking towards unions and to, towards themselves uh, building power in the workplace. So we have a lot of work to do when it comes to organizing, and we also have a lot to do with educating the public about these union busters that are brought in to, to illegally um, disrupt the, the, the American right of, of, of working people to organize a union. And so um, I know that if we could level the playing field, we would have a much easier time to, uh, to, for workers to organize their own unions. And when that happens, when that happens, we see that everyone in every working person is better off. So yeah. all boats are lifted when, orga- when organized labor um, does better. And that's the only way to establish a fair society where people can, you know, uh, work hard and have a, have a good life and, and get ahead. That's what it's all about. You know, if given the opportunity, 60 million people in America would join a union, but there's a lot of roadblocks and they know that, and that's what's stopping them right now. So Stephanie Bloomingdale, thank you so much for joining us here on America's Workforce special segment here dealing with Women's History Month for the month of March. Thank you for joining us. Please stay in touch, okay? Okay, thank you so much. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Dave Baker of Ironworkers Local 44 in Greater Cincinnati. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. 
We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union there. Let's go to uh, the Cincinnati area. Joining us on line number two right now is Dave Baker. Dave is business manager of Ironworkers Local 44. Ironworkers44.com is a website. And uh, that union got a lot of news recently when uh, the State of the Union message happened a couple of weeks ago. Joe Biden, our president, did a little shout-out for one of their members, Sarah Gwynn May, a member of Local 44. I guess she's going to be working on the Brent Spence Bridge, and that's because of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Dave Baker, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, brother? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Boy, I tell you, getting a lot of a lot of publicity here. I know we're trying to track down Sarah. We'll get her. I, I guess she's like a rock star now. Is she in high demand as a result of what happened a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, my phone hasn't stopped with calls for requests for interviews, people wanting her to do product. One guy called me from California, wants her to do some kind of bridge painting project or something. He wants, a, wants her to market his paint. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we're it's getting them amazing. all over the place man so yeah it, it's so. amazing well you know what you get you got the president of the united states the leader of the free world and here's somebody from your union i mean it had to be she probably thought she was dreaming at that time i mean she's standing up getting a round of applause that's that's amazing well you know what i got a lot of questions here I want to talk to you about your uh, about your background, and I know you've been business manager since 2015. But I, I, I'm sorry, we got to talk about Sarah right now. A uh, little, little bit of background on her. How long has she been a member of 44? Well, she got in in '93, so she's right at her 30 year mark right now. Okay. So, okay. Um, she's uh, she's probably about two years out from retirement. She. Uh, Took a couple years to take care of some babies, and uh, so she took care of some children, and uh, and then she come back, and uh, and she's been back with us since. And uh, for the past twelve years, she's been with CHC, and uh, 
seems really happy there. So that's awesome. But, it's interesting. We should point out too that the iron workers first union in the trades that uh, came up with a plan for paid maternity leave. Wasn't it? Isn't it twelve weeks of maternity leave for the iron workers? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, I think it's it's more than that now. I think that was the original plan. I think it goes. I think they get six months total now. They can do four before and two after. Oh my! So, oh my um, gosh! Yeah. Yeah, I know a number of uh, trades are looking at what you did, but that was uh, revolutionary. Not not uh, not quick enough for Sarah, but nonetheless, uh, she's uh, she's uh, about to retire here in a couple of years. But uh, maybe you could speak to uh, uh, her as far as her her work history and all that, and maybe getting involved. I mean, I mean, think about the time that she decided to become an iron worker. Not too many females back then, right? Not too many females, and especially not any African-American females. So she was breaking two barriers, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I worked with her. Uh, heck, I worked with her when I was an apprentice. I worked with her as an adjournment. Um, you know, me and her me and her was out there in the field quite a few different times together. Um, I mean, she, uh, I don't know, She is. she's done the deal for a long time. And she's had a lot of people who have uh, really just really invested in her over the last decade or so. And uh, she's really done really well with me for helping to recruit females um, and uh, and just support them once they got in. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a big push within our international about, uh, you know, females getting more and more females into this craft. Uh, we went to the Women's Build Nations uh, conference with Sarah and, uh, and eight other women from this local. And uh, they're just, uh, I think women are really, really surprising a lot of people at just what kind of value they can bring to the yeah. construction site. Yeah. Well, she's certainly so. a trailblazer. And, and we bring this up because uh, the month of March is Women's History Month. So she obviously made history. And she's still making history. She made history joining Local 44 so many years ago and and to be on the national state international stage with the with the president of the united states and his wife jill amazing stuff so let's talk about 44 and see uh what do you got about a thousand iron workers in the greater cincinnati area is that pretty accurate right now dave yeah we're pretty close we're just slightly under that um we've had a little little downturn over the last year but um but we run about a thousand total Okay. And, uh, you know, it, it ebbs and flows, and we anticipate that number is going to jump up once all this work comes out because it's, uh, it's crazy the level of work we're seeing out there. And, uh, That's exactly what I want to get into. How's your apprenticeship program shaping up right now for that workload? Uh, we're taking people in pretty much every day. I, I, I had two come in today, you know. Um We've uh, we've got the ability to br- to kind of slot people as well as bring people in um, in a non-traditional way, and so when we get a good candidate that comes through the door, um, we're able to get them in and get them working. And you know, we had a guy got here this morning about ten o'clock, and we had him uh, we had him a job by one forty. <laughs> <laughs> you don't waste so, any time. <laughs> you know, four hours later, um, we got a job. Now he's starting Monday, but. Uh, uh, yeah, sometimes it just can move like that, you know. So that's amazing. Uh, 
So this bridge project, and I know this has been batted around for years now, and it's finally going to get done. What's going on with that bridge? And I guess there's just a boatload of traffic that's been going over it, and it's just been neglected over the years? Is, Is that the story? Well, it was never built for the amount of traffic it's seen. Um, that's number one issue. There are multiple issues, though, with that with that whole corridor. Um, it was designed for 80,000 vehicles, and 160,000 a day go over it. And those are today's numbers. And then it's also the design of the of the uh, of the bridge, the way. You you have a 71 arm that breaks away to go up to 71 north and another arm that goes 75. And what happens is because of that design, people get in the wrong lane on the bridge, and they have to correct that before they get to the end of the bridge. Ooh. And so there are constantly someone who goes to make the correction who then causes an accident. And then yeah. it just shuts everything down. Oh, it's boy. just straight gridlock. And now we had that happen with a couple of tractor trailers about a year and a half ago. And uh, the whole bridge was on fire. Now, luckily, it was enough that we could repair it. Um, but that bridge uh, saw some extreme heat. Um, luckily, there wasn't any explosion. But there was a lot of liquid that burned, and a lot of the steel heated up, and we had to work on it for a couple of months to get it up and running. And as a result, the whole town was shut down for two oh. and a half months. We all had to drive around the bridge, and it was just gridlock everywhere you went. And so the traffic's an issue. Proper repair and maintenance, um, you can only do so much, and then you got to do some serious maintenance they've been putting band-aids on it for years and what i mean by that is there's concrete literally that's displacing itself and falling some of it fell and hit a couple cars so they went down through there and they put wood underneath attached from girder to girder to catch the falling concrete um now that's not a permanent fix you know no sure You've prevented it from landing on a car, but there's concrete falling out. <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's not a good thing. And then, you know, for whatever reason, I have no idea. The former governor, Governor Bevin of Kentucky, thought that if you just painted it, um, that would uh, fix it. <laughs> I'm not really sure where that logic came from, but that was Governor Bevin. So he spent four million dollars to put a fresh coat of paint on it. And uh, but they didn't fix really hardly anything. I think is structurally uh, going to fall in the river or anything like that. But it needs to be redone. It's got to be repaired, um, and certain parts will need to be repaired and replaced. The the piers have been hit by barges a couple times, so there's repairs that need to be done there. Um, and then we need that companion bridge so that we can hold that volume of traffic because. I mean, the traffic's not going to get less. It's only going to get more. Yeah. So the new design uh, encompasses all of that and uh, also will be a lot more effective um, in not having people doing that lane change in the middle of the bridge. Yeah. So. Yeah. We don't 
We don't want that anymore. By the way, we're speaking with Dave Baker. Dave is the business manager and financial secretary of Ironworkers Local 44 in greater Cincinnati. They have about uh, close to about 1,000 ironworkers, but a whole lot more on the way because of the construction of the new Brent Spence Bridge. So, Dave, give me a time. How many How many of your uh, members at 44 will be working on this? And do you have a time frame when, when things will start? And I, I would imagine, too, the supply chain might put a damper on a few things. I know there's a couple of questions there, but what do you see ahead? I'm not sure that we'll have any real supply chain issues um, because it, the bridge is still a good year and a half out before we start needing those supplies. Uh, we're probably looking at uh, some groundwork starting in November. Probably won't have iron workers on site till at least summer of 24. Um, so I don't think supply chain will be an issue. Um, there'll be literally will be hundreds of iron workers um, on that project. Everything from the piers in the water to the bridge abutment. There's a lot of other smaller bridges that are attached to that bridge. So. Couldn't put a number on it, but hundreds of people will mm-hmm. be working on that project. When do you think we can get this thing uh, wrapped up then? Well, the main companion bridge should be done about 2026, but the total project is slated to go on for seven years. So we're probably looking at 2031 before this whole thing is done. Um, yeah. So um, it's going to be a great time. And you're right. I've been waiting on this bridge. I joined the Ironworkers in 97. They told me I was going to build that bridge. And here we are 26 years later. <laughs> We're finally getting started on it. So it's been a long time coming. We're looking forward to it here in Cincinnati. I know that. All right. Well, certainly be a great boost for a Local 44. Ironworkers44.com is the website. Dave Baker, business manager, financial secretary. Well, you take care, and uh, let's talk down the road. And and uh, one one of these days, we'll get Sarah on the show. I know, like I said at the top of the uh, top of the interview here, she's a rock star right now. But uh, definitely want to talk to her about her involvement. And I know she's uh, she's on her way to retirement, so she won't see the completion of the bridge, but she'll be there for a part of it anyway. So you take care, brother. Thank you for joining us today. Great. Take care. Bye bye. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow on the show, the life and impact of Mother Jones and the National Council on Occupational Safety and Health. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.